Hello and welcome to our new Fintech Scotland podcast episode. We're very happy to see that the number of people listening to this podcast is growing week on week. That's thanks to the quality of our guests and today will be no exception as we discuss the importance of the fintech sector. And today's our guests are Lotta Lindstrand, senior CRO analyst at Merkel. Good afternoon, Lotta. Thank you. Afternoon. Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Do you want to introduce uh, Merkel to those uh, who might not know the? Of course, yeah. So, um, as mentioned, I work at uh, Merkel EMEA. Um, so, this is an agency um, where we um, look after clients specifically from my perspective. Um, I'm a CRO analyst, so a conversion rate optimization analyst. Um, so, what we do is um, we optimize for clients towards their key um, business KPIs with the ultimate goal of I mean, pr- improving their uh, customer experience. Um, so we'd analyze their on-site behavior um, and run tests off of the back of those findings um, so that we can move forward in a data-led approach. Fabulous, thank you. We're also joined by Andrew Duncan, CEO of Scottish FinTech SOAR, and also my neighbor. Hi Andrew, how are you? <laughs> Hi there. <laughs> I'm very well, thanks. Um, I'll do you want me to introduce Soar to you. Yes, please. So Soar is a fintech that uh, builds a banking platform uh, with white labeled mobile and uh, web banking apps, uh, specifically uh, suited to the credit union and community banking market. Um, we've been running for uh, about three and a bit years now, um, and uh, currently have our s- system. Uh, launched with a number of different credit unions um, up and down the country uh, across the whole of the UK. Um, And they use it basically to enable their customers and members to transact with them from a banking perspective, you know, with regards to their savings and loans, and then uh, also to uh, apply for lending and uh, new products that they have, uh, uh, that they launch with them. Um, And uh, we're uh, just now of... um, launching some new functionality. Uh, and basically we do this normally in partnership with other fintechs in Scotland. Um, so currently we work with uh, a couple of others like Modular Finance and Invest. Uh, and there's uh, more to come. So that's uh, very exciting. Very exciting indeed. And finally, and needing like, no introduction to those even remotely interested in customer experience and design, Spitz, Professor of Design Informatics at the University of Edinburgh. Chris, it's a great honor to have you with us today. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be invited. Yeah, so um, I'm, a, I'm a design academic, really. Uh, came through the ranks as an artist or designer, and now I co-direct the Institute for Design Informatics. And I suppose with clarity, it's a research institute. We do teach, we have a master's program, but we, we collaborate on lots of research projects, sometimes with challenger banks, sometimes with the old, the big incumbents, shall we say, but all of the time looking for, I suppose, a research edge, Where's the R&D? What are the the innovation challenges facing all of the communities? It it does mean sometimes we go down rabbit holes such as blockchain. We're involved in a large UK centre looking at the implications of decentralised, not just payments, but experiences. Um, And we fold that into other examples. We build our own prototypes from uh, Bitcoin coffee machines through to um, decentralised hairdryers all in some ways, as well as apps. We've got a, a, a trial app with Oxfam Australia at the moment with smart contracting. But um, when we get into this, you'll probably find that, yeah, I'm, I'm less on the leading customer edge, but more understanding that, that R&D space. But it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you very much, Chris. So 
let, let's dive into today's subject. But before speaking about customer experience, I thought it'd be a good idea to speak about customer expectations uh, when it comes to services and products that they buy and the brand they interact with. So could I ask the three of you your various experiences? Have you, have you noticed a change in expectations uh, in the financial services sector? I'm happy to jump in here. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Um, I'd say there's definitely more of a focus on, with brands wanting and companies wanting to progress their customer experience. Um, I think in terms of benchmark expect, expectations is really important um, that you've sort of um, like uh, raised that because I think as soon as a customer has um, a really solid customer experience with any brand, that's where their benchmark then moves um, in terms of where they expect customers customer experience to be and where they want um, all of the different companies to be so I think with not just even just within the financial services industry um, but outside of that as well if other companies outside of that are progressing their customer experience um, the financial services and, and fintech can't get left behind because that is actually just a benchmark of where users are now expecting um, the service to lie. I totally agree with that and I think it kind of stems from the fact that the internet has uh, over the years evolved to the point where it can sort pages and apps and responses to you in you know milliseconds everything's expected to be instantaneous and so very complex com computations and things can be done quickly but uh, in the old days you know 10-15 years ago you would log on to the internet you would have to dial up and it would take a time and then you would basically start interfacing with yeah no I think it's really interesting I mean it, absolutely as Andrew said the um the literacy if you like, the digital literacy and then the data literacy around the products we're seeing move into the space are really very sophisticated, but sophisticated on onboarding and allowing customers to stay with, um, to uh, ameliorate their concerns because security and risk is still high on their agenda and good CX is really supporting onboarding and keeping many of these customers in a, in a place of power, which is probably what we want, right? We want them to feel safe, secure, but empowered. Thank you. And do you think COVID has had an impact on the expectation? Has it accelerated almost the, 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 the move to, to digital channels? And with that, maybe brought some new expectations of, of people? I would definitely say that it has. Um, I mean, just in, in my own situation with uh, SOAR, we've, um, we were basically requested to launch products faster than was initially anticipated on the timelines that we were given um, so that uh, as businesses, you know, around about March, April time last year, were moving from, you know, being in the office uh, to having to work from home, that would then enable them to basically serve their customers more effectively, you know, via digital means um, and still, you know, enable them to stay in business and operational, but not necessarily in the, uh, in the uh, sort of standard way that they were operating before. And off the, the back of COVID, I think now the, uh, the reality is that uh, we've moved uh, significantly away from using things like cash. And so uh, there's less reliance now on cash and um, consumers are more used to using digital methods to transact money. Uh, and it's the same for uh, conducting e-commerce transactions, going to supermarkets, um, you know, all sorts of different facets of your life now are conducted in a different way than they were, you know, pre-March last year. 
Um, and uh, that that has definitely fed into the needs and requirements of how financial services is delivering its um, solutions and services into the market. Dare I suggest that even people have softened their um, approach to QR codes, which I mean, personally, I think uh, the ability to connect systems together, sometimes in a social material place, you know, that in the world, QR codes are actually fine. There was nothing problematic with them. They just looked a bit ugly. But there's a whole bunch of turns that the public, as Andrew said, are kind of forced to go on. But in doing so, it's helped them and probably helped developers offer much more connection between data sets, connections and services, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to be done, right? And a lot to be capitalised on this moment when people are prepared to do more because they have to. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it's actually quite interesting as well um, to look at the differences in like a digital transformation that a lot of people have had as well. So a lot of brands, um, like you were saying before, have also sort of um, really been pushed to take quite big steps in terms of digital. Um, but I think um, it'll be quite interesting. It has been and it will be quite interesting to see how um, we progress with customer experience and see if we, the focus then still stays on customer experience, um, as I think it's it's one thing to have quite a footprint in digital, but it's also um, a bit of another thing to have a really solid experience and one that customers want to come back to as well. As well. So I think it'd be really interesting um, to see how that plays out as well as we move forward. And when it comes to, you know, choosing financial products, customers will look at rates, they will look at maybe discounts and a lot of other factors. What's the risk of customer experience in that mix? When, when it to making a, a decision to go with one provider or the other, do you see that as being a major factor? Personally, I, I do. Uh, definitely, I think that's one of the major things. I think um, with some of our clients, um, they're in industries um, where a lot of the businesses they're running aren't actually that dissimilar from their competitors. Um, so some of the offers um, and everything are obviously different. It's a different company. Um, I think overall their offering um, can be quite similar to their competitors. So I think if they're offering... Um, good CX, I think that that's one thing that can really help them to stand out um, against their competitors in the market. I, I totally agree with that. And I, I think, you know, the, the obvious thing as a consumer myself, you know, we can go to a comparison website and choose a loan or choose a bank accounts or whatever, but what are the added benefits that you get from being a customer of that particular business or, or company? Uh, and, you know, even in, in the way that I run my own company, I chop and change around different business banks just to see how different business banks are offering uh, their service and solutions so that I can harness the best of the best out of that. And the, the, uh, the, normally, it, in my case, it boils down to how good the digital offering is and how little I have to phone them or speak to someone. But, um, you know, that's not always the case with everyone. I, I appreciate that I'm, uh, you know, a, a specific type of consumer. Um, and yeah, and it, it's definitely the case in the credit union movement. So we're uh, trying to help, uh, you know, people switch from payday lenders and loan sharks and other forms of high cost credit onto uh, an ethical alternative. And at the moment, the customer experience in the ethical alternative is, uh, I, I think, amazing because you get an ethical alternative, but mm -hmm. it's not married up then with the right digital experience and everything else that you would get if you were coming through a comparison website and just being able to get your your uh, finance within 15, 20 minutes or whatever. 
and so it's trying to get that uh, that balance right and and deliver it into this, the market so that they can offer it as uh, as effectively as possible. It, it's, it's super interesting, isn't it? Because um, essentially you're pitching a a reality in which there is an ecosystem around everybody. I mean, I'm thinking not just my family, but my co-workers. I would, we're doing um, a whip round for someone who's leaving at the moment. And of course, we have to do it over backs. And then you, you're beginning to find the, in your little ecosystem and services from my, um, my son's student loan to my daughter's bank account to my co-workers, that you're absolutely right, that there's, there's various frictions that we're all starting to experience along as we move and connect together we're all traveling together but it's fascinating trying to find out yeah that that one was easy right that was someone jumped onto the paypal and they were away other people are hit these bumps in the road because of their particular apps i suppose and it's yeah the literacy therefore that um if that makes the experience literacy that's moving with us all is very high speed as we hit these identify the frictions and then designers and banks take them out, if that makes sense. Definitely. I think it's also um, quite interesting when you think about how it might not necessarily be a conscious decision on the part of the user. They might not necessarily go with a certain um, offering or a certain company because of certain frictions um, in the process, but it might just be that they're drawn more towards other other websites, other companies um, that do have a better customer experience, but they're not necessarily aware because, I mean, everyone on this probably is quite aware when they're going through the process of what the good things are, what they dislike and everything. But a lot of people in the population might not, and it might actually be more of a subconscious decision of, um, actually, I'm just going to go with this one. They might not necessarily be aware of, of why they're doing that, which is quite interesting as well. And a lot of the neo banks, or even more generally fintechs are known for doing customer experience very well so do, do you think well first of all do you think that's fair and then do you think that it's driven incumbents to up their games when it comes to customer experience i think um yeah so with uh, neobanks and, and such um, i think they have a very customer-centric approach um very much sort of at the root of their business models um which i think makes it makes it a bit bit easier for them to then offer us such a good customer experience because they have their users in mind when they're coming to the product when they're coming to any changes they're making whereas I think incumbents um, are needing to have such a big shift in the way that they not only do business um, and offer their their products but also um, in how they're thinking about their business or the mindset within the company um, so I think that shift is, is quite difficult for um, some companies to make um, especially if they've done certain processes a certain way for such a long time which a lot of the incumbents really have um, but I think that um, like the such as, uh, as neobanks are really pushing um, pushing the boundaries of, of what um, other banks um, are wanting to do and where they're wanting to progress. Yeah, I, I, do, I totally agree. And I think it, it does boil down to the culture within the, the organizations generally wanting to, you know, they start with a customer centric approach and then it's, uh, that's then what helps them deliver the, the product that they're delivering. Um, and then, yeah, you just have to look at now how easy it is to onboard with um, some, you know, you know, some of the sort of challenger banks and everything that, that we're uh, all used to using. I guess probably everyone's tried onboarding with Onfido and the likes. And it's a great experience. And now what we're seeing is the uh, the incumbents are 
uh, kind of catching up and copying a lot of the uh, concepts and ideas and um, I suppose back filling some of the uh, the experience there that that they've not had over the last few years and so as a result now some of their uh, you know digital offering in particular is surprisingly good. Yeah, definitely. And I've even seen it from using, um, so I use one of the neobanks um, and they give you insights on your own spending, um, which I thought was such such a like cool um, example of a customer centric like you're really giving the customer what they're wanting and now we're seeing other banks doing that as well so the other um, bank that I'm with um, also now does that and gives you insights on um, your spending and where you're spending it and everything like that so really um, having the customer at the heart of the offering offering sorry I, I suppose I wonder um, I mean not in defense of the incumbents I suppose when we meet with some of them over in Edinburgh, they have got big R&D teams, though. So I wonder, although, I mean, crikey, segmentation across the big banks is tough, right? You've got to, you're covering everyone in the market, whereas the NEOs might just be identifying with particulars. And I wonder whether maybe in the long run, we might find, yes, that, that they have to play catch up, um, the old banks. But on the other hand, they have a chance to slow things down and maybe target communities which aren't best represented. I mean, thinking of elderly yeah. people or um, people who don't quite have the, you know, the, the young thing ready to go, but we still want to make sure they're able to bank. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point as well. Um, and definitely something that the um, incumbents definitely do strongly. Um, and I think that even if they don't do a massive shift, they are going to need to shift slightly just from pandemic and, um, for example, closing stores. Like a lot of, like you mentioned, um, elderly might actually rely quite a lot on um, the branches, whereas they're going to have to shift now to digital. Um, I think you're really, you're definitely right in in that um, they have sort of a unique um, customer group that they can utilise there that that maybe wouldn't be pushed to use the neobanks and the far digital um, offerings. Very interesting. And, you know, if you look at the financial services sector, generally, um, and if you look at GDPR, financial regulation, risk warnings, um, in terms of the, the customer experience, sometimes those things can get in the way, you know, accepting cookies, accepting risk, uh, taking this and that. Uh, does it have to be the case or how to strike the right balance? Because it feels to me that a lot of the companies, fintech or incumbent, are falling on the side of caution by, you know, having all those risk warnings up front. Well, have you seen great examples out there? Would you, do you, mm, so jumping as a researcher, we find this fascinating, actually. So we talk about seamless and seem full. <laughs> and um, there's a really interesting de debate at the moment. And I'm curious about Andrew and Lotta's perspective, because... Some researchers think that if you have seamless, then actually um, users don't know when something might be changing or it might be a problem. Whereas if you hit a seam, it actually might inform the user that there's something changing, that they're being handed over to a third party. So we find it, we think design is good design. Good UX is right in the middle of managing the balance between not just seamless, because it might hide moments when you want to alert the user but on the other hand you don't want to be hit with all the friction of seam full does that make sense so i don't know if andrew and lotta have yeah, no, i think that's a really interesting way of putting it um i quite like that um but i yeah i agree with you from what you were saying with um the seam full way as well in that 
um, especially working for an agency um, that Merkel is. Um, we obviously have clients, so we're not in the position to take risk on their heart, their behalf and suggest not um, following certain rules or anything. So we are quite um, or very strict in terms of GDPR um, and also any regulation that um, each individual client within their industry will bring to us. Um, so it's not something that we'd um, necessarily push the boundaries on um, mm -hmm. as we do sort of see it as that's the standard um, and it can be restrictive, um, but that's just what we, we're working with and we have to work with. Um, and I think that you can still offer um, a really good um, CX or customer experience, um, even with the sticky banners and, and everything. Um, it is something that obviously you do need to take into consideration, um, as especially with um, testing that um, I do, um, a lot of it is reliant on users accepting those cookies um, and accepting um, into being tracked. So um, I think it is restrictive, but um, it is just something that is sort of um, necessary, I think, in the industry as well, because it does offer protections for the users as well. Totally. And it's, I mean, in, in, in our case, we deal with loan applications. And so the right amount of friction has to be put in place to make sure that the consumer is aware of the um, checks that are going to be undertaken on them. So how that can affect their credit history and uh, credit ratings. And then what happens when they actually get the loan and have to start repaying it. And as part of, as much as the organization that's lending the money needs to you know go through the risk uh, assessment process as part of that at the same time we've got to introduce enough friction to make sure that uh, the right type of lending is being offered at the right moment to that particular consumer based on their financial needs at that moment in time so it's really important that the balance is kept right and it's still easy to use if you're doing a say a digital channel for a, a a loan or something like that it's easy for the consumer to go through that process but that they're aware at every step in in the process of what's going on and then that the business can basically help them through that so that their financial well-being is not uh, not ruined at the same time okay and just before we we, we end the, the the episode if i had to ask the three of you what do you think are the biggest trend in customer experience in the fintech and financial services sector, what would you say? Um, I think going off the back of sort of uh, one of the things I started out this um, episode saying, um, but I'd say um, pushing towards um, better customer experience. So um, many um, through the past year have gone through quite a big digital transformation, um, whether that be forcefully or not um, through the pandemic. But I think, um, now it's time to focus on more of an increased um, digital maturity. Um, so having more of a, a customer centric approach. Um, so for example, through um, customer experience optimization. Um, so going more from the one to all approach, um, more all the way through to the one, one to one approach. Um, so I think that's one of the things that um, could have more of a focus in the financial um, services industry over the next um, few months to a year. I'll jump in. I'm, I'm in a, as a research space, I think we're fascinated in anticipating, and I'm not sure this is a trend yet, um, data viz still seems a little bit crude, actually. I, I, I mean, from the Mon, Mondo days, they, they were kind of cool, but they weren't that effective. So I still expect AI to help users a little bit more with the finances. I mean, the fact that I'm still getting in my bank's app a kind of a, a black and a 
a red condition just doesn't feel adequate um, given we know the data processing the, the data-driven innovation that can occur um, within the cloud and across my device so i'm hoping there's a bit more assistance in anticipating better money management toward the end and i'm sure you folks know of the very products i need to be using um, but it's in the ai i'd really like to see more in that space um, but perhaps andrew has some ideas what's being picked up yeah no it, it is that sort of thing it's the uh the offering of um, sort of financial well-being uh, hints and tips and advice off the um, the back of you've been able to connect your bank account or bank accounts together, and then uh, the the apps and so on being able to basically give you hints and tips as to how to best manage your money or where to best save money on, you know, your home insurance or your car insurance next or um, something that you might be looking to save for. And that that's definitely the that those are the sorts of conversations that we're having more and more with our customers as something that they want to be able to offer their their customers uh, in the near future so that they've got a sort of, a, I don't know, like a, a mechanism to have that ongoing conversation with their customer throughout the life cycle of them being there uh, and or, or being with them, uh, as well as then being able to support them with the right financial products as they go along that journey. Can I ask you both, so around this then, do you think, so open banking was fascinating us as researchers. We generally thought that the penny would drop, that people would realise that banks don't hold their money, banks hold their data. In other words, my bank holds everything on my lifestyle and my partner's lifestyle and now my kid's lifestyle. And yet really, I, th I still think I'm being treated as though it's not a data-driven product, but actually... We're just holding your money, Chris. Move it over here, move it over there. Stay away from the red if you can. And I, I still don't see the open banking penny have dropped. And I don't know whether that's, I'm sure it has in the fintech space, but with the public, I still think they think mon banks hold their money. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. I think the, uh, the reality is most consumers aren't all that tech savvy. And so the understanding of, you know what data is and what data a company might hold about them is i i think the overall education across the nation is still very low in that space right. um so in reality we need to you know increase education and probably millennials and um and younger generations understand it more but older generations still don't make that connection um and yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the bank is just a database of financial transactions that you've undertaken in the past, and therefore they can model all sorts of things on you. Um, but it's uh, it, it's just something that most consumers don't think about. But in yeah. fintech space, we love it. So, yeah, it's what we it's what we really think about. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. Um, I think it's also yeah, like a confidence thing. I think um, a lot of um, demographics or user groups wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable knowing that their money is actually leaving the bank. Like, I don't think they'd really like that concept. So I think it's probably something that maybe potentially even done research into um, and found that maybe that's not something that they're wanting to shout about and, and for everyone to be explicitly aware of if it's not something that um, they need to obviously comply with um, and let users know. It's, it, it always struck me that, I mean, I, I confess I'm over 50 and my, um, a couple of years ago, um, someone said, oh, you should check out your blood pressure, Chris. Um, and I and it was the optician. The optician said, look, these optic nerves or whatever getting wrangled at the back. 
that's blood pressure. But I wonder why it wasn't the bank, you know. I mean, maybe that was the bank thinking, we are not the people to tell Chris based on his consumption and activities. But on the other hand, I don't think the GP's going to tell me anymore. And I, I wonder at what point we might begin to move the, to a place where customer experience, some of the banks might well think about, hey, look, we can spot things in your lifestyle. But uh, yeah, Lotta, maybe that's about confidence. Maybe it is inappropriate yeah. for my bank to tell me that I'm unhealthy. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it is like quite a sort of gray area. I think some people would love that. And maybe it's the people that are, that have got like Apple watches and then do want to know all of their data. But I think quite a few people might actually feel quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, knowing that people have this data especially when i mean that's essentially pii um and data that maybe people uh, they don't want people other people know before they essentially know it um and uh, you go to the gp with the expectation that that's going to be the information you receive but if you go to um other institutes um you have an expectation of what service or what data you're going to receive back and if that's quite different to uh, the actual experience i think it can potentially spook people <laughs> well we've reached the end of this episode but i think we could chat for another hour no problem <laughs> thank you so much to the three of you for your participation and, and your insight that was fabulous um and uh, i hope to our listener to our listener i hope you enjoyed this episode uh, let me just remind you that we've just announced the dates for our fintech festival it will start on the 16th of September and ends on the 15th of October. So a month of events, in-person, digital, hybrid, all events are free. So if you want to know more, just visit scotlandfintechfestival.com. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.